This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. Do I even want to ask how you're doing, Rich? Yeah, man. I'm, I mean, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um... I've been in a coma for the last 48 hours, just <laughs> awakening from that as we speak. But uh, yeah, I mean, have I missed anything? Um, no, let's uh, let's go with tomorrow night. Friday is the first game of the season. You know, the Kings have yet to play a regular season game. No, game one, um, terrible against Phoenix Suns. And, you know, I kind of blame you. You talked a lot of crap. Yeah, I blame me too. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I will insist you're the technical guy on this podcast. You take care of all the editing. I would like you to re-release our last episode and just cut out all the parts where I'm talking and replace that with like clown horns. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out we do have Phoenix Suns listeners. You were they were Man, do we ever? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really underestimated the amount of Suns fans that listen to this podcast. To each and every one of you, I apologize. I, um, I mean, should we just fold the podcast at this point? This is uh, I would I I'm just gonna delete Twitter. I I could not have been more wrong about how this game would go. Yeah, I mean, okay. So where do we start with this game? I I mean, maybe like you know, at the beginning, it was somewhat positive in a way uh, i believe buddy had 10 of the first 14 something like that um yeah i mean that's probably the only positive that i have in this game i yeah so here's my <laughs> take in the first quarter first half really is i felt like this team was playing terribly and buddy was bailing them out um i even you know i tweeted something to that effect where you know, Buddy is playing like a superhero, and he's he's shooting the ball at an at an impossibly great level. Like he was playing like the best shooter in the world. Period. I don't need the caveat of you know people not named Steph Curry. Like he was he's shooting the ball incredibly well. There he has he is the second best shooter in the world. But there are nights where he's the best and. Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for that, I think this game would have been really ugly really early. I was disappointed with basically everything I saw. And can we even I'll even start off with the very first play. The very first, well, 
first of all, the, the Suns got an easy two points. And then the very first possession for the Kings. Uh, I, tell me if you noticed this. Did you notice Bagley just started the possession kind of like standing five feet beyond the arc at the top of the key and just doing nothing and then waiting for the play to be ran so that he could go do his part in it. But he was completely stationary for the first like five seconds. I did not catch that. I had technical difficulties at the start of the broadcast. It was just weird. It was weird. And like it, it didn't make me feel comfortable because it felt like, okay, so this team's going to run, you know, they've got an idea of what they're going to run in their half court set. And that's nice. I can tell. Do you think that Luke Walton, let's start here. Do you think that Luke Walton is emphasizing the half court more than the transition offense? I think that there was a focus on it because it was a known needed improvement. Um, And I don't think he intentionally went away from the, um, from the fast break offense, but I think that my guess would be focus focusing and emphasizing on improving the half court might've made that happen more often. Right. I I don't think that, if there's a fast break, the Kings took it, but so does, you know, essentially every team, unless right. unless it's like not a real fast break where you're looking at like a two on two and maybe you wanna maybe you wanna reset into a you wanna set your, your offense into into a specific look. But yeah, I mean if they if they have the advantage of taking it, of course, if Fox is out in transition, he's going to run. That's just how he is, and of course he should do that. But it did not feel like that was their priority. They were much slower getting up and down the court. And to me, that felt like the most noticeable difference from this version of the Kings. And, and I, you know, albeit a very small sample size of this version of the Kings versus Jaeger's Kings. Yeah, I, I mean, it was really the defensive end of this game. Uh, the in the first half they did okay on the offensive side you know they were like you mentioned it was not a good half at all and they were still somehow up by five points that felt like a small win within itself like okay you shouldn't be winning right now but you are because it's phoenix uh eight turnovers in the first half and then the third quarter was the worst thing i have ever seen the kings had 10 turnovers in that quarter uh I guess it started with Fox getting his fourth foul, uh, 10 something minutes left in that third quarter and just entry pass after entry pass and easy buckets inside for, for the Phoenix suns. Like nobody was stopping them down low. It just looked like they didn't come to play. Like there was no effort and they, the Phoenix suns played some physical defense, but I didn't think they were playing great defense, but it bothered the Kings enough. And just nobody looked like they really wanted it. Like they got out hustled so, so much. And I did have my concerns with some of Walton's, like, you know, playing Ariza forever and different things like this. Deadman only getting 14 minutes on the night when there was a lot of paint issues. But really, like the players did not come to play. Yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover here. I don't think that there is, you know, there's, it's not that it was just defense. It wasn't that it was just offense. It it was everything. It was the lack of discipline. It was the, it was everything. I mean, 
I, I could enumerate any number of things that a team can do wrong, and I think that the Kings did all those things wrong. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's just this team did not show up. They played like garbage. I, I mean, that's truly – that's not even hyperbole. Like, this team played terribly. But let's slow it down and take it one thing at a time. Let's start with, with Waltz and, and, the, and the play sets there and the focus there. It did – so I want to go back to this transition thing because did you feel like this team was playing at a significantly slower pace than the Kings we saw last year? It did feel slower. Um, yeah, it, it definitely did. And like you so, mentioned, it's more of like, you know, they were last year, they were running it off of made baskets. Sure. Yeah, no, they were. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. I mean, of course you're going to run it off misses, but they were getting it for out from under the bucket. Like, instantly they were pushing 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 um and that was constant and especially at the beginning of the year where you know this kind of caught a lot of teams off guard so where i want to go with this is you know that can be perceived as a gimmick of course not every team can use that gimmick like that that's a gimmick quote unquote gimmick that played to the strength of the kings being young having probably the fastest point guard in the game um, having players that could take advantage of that strategy. But with that gimmick washed away, uh, I am worried about what resides underneath in terms of the fundamentals of a quality basketball team. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that they were running, even running like the sets that we saw in preseason. I, I liked a lot of the movement in the offense and the ball was swinging left to the right left and right a lot in preseason they were attacking the paint and I just didn't see that happening like guys were dribbling the air out of the ball um, like you said buddy really saved them or else this game would have been out of hand at the beginning but it felt like on that end yes they weren't getting out in in transition as much as they should but even in half court like the ball wasn't moving they weren't hitting the paint it, it just they didn't feel cohesive in any sort of way yeah I I felt like there was lots of, you know, maybe this is putting too much of a game plan in the heads of this team that's not really ready for it. A team that was very free and very loose, um, looking for opportunistic baskets, looking to push the pace, and then kind of bogging them down in last night's game with a little bit of overworked uh, half-court offense where there's picks off of picks, double picks, there's you know, they're, they're working off all types of pin downs and all types of, uh, you know, what horns and all this, all this stuff. It just, it felt a little bit over calculated at times. Is that off? Do you think that that I'm, I'm way off there? No, I think that's fair. You know, there was a Gentry, Alvin Gentry quote, uh, I think on opening night and the Pelicans run in pace insanely. And he was saying that part of the, one of the big, uh, pluses of having a high pace is that it really makes the game simple. Yeah, that's a that absolutely makes sense to me. That this is a team that probably had a had an easy game plan in terms of what was being demanded of them in between the ears, where it was kind of just use your physical gifts to create opportunities. Of course, there's more than that. You know, of course there is, but that being like kind of plan a probably helped a lot of what we saw from the Kings. And it probably 
confused, um, you know, a lot of opposing teams where they're looking for certain things and then they get caught looking and then they're just on their heels and then, you know, Fox is blowing by them. But yeah, um, let's, so the pace, you know, I, I think that that has, there's a chance that the lack of pace, the slower pace is going to expose some things or more specifically is going to have some growing pains as the Kings transition to a more half court focused basketball team. And like you said, you know, I don't fault, Walton for that. I don't fault Walton for wanting to have a team that is more efficient in the half court and has more of an identity there because that was, like you said, an obvious, uh, uh, you know, failing of the team last year. That was an obvious weak point, right? Yeah. And I think it's also harder to get out and transition when you're not getting those turnovers like they did last year. I mean, like this was a horrific defensive game and that's where a lot of the half court offense, or sorry, transition offense would come from. They had one steal in their entire first half. And it's not like, I mean, they got, the Suns got a better passer in Ricky Rubio. Devin Booker's a, a decent passer, but he turns the ball over. It's just that the Kings like did not have active hands. There were so many open dunks and layups for Phoenix. Like, I felt like that the defense really affected a lot of the transition or lack of transition. Yeah. Booker's a very good passer for a two guard. If that's how we are viewing him. Um, yeah. He's got some creation for sure. And I guess having a season without a point guard will do that to you. Uh, kind of force you to grow um, into that role a little bit, but yeah. And, and you know, Rubio is a good facilitator, but he's just not a shooter. And that doesn't really matter if, uh, you're going to be able to get to the rim as much as you do, um, in, as much as he did in this game. What else did you see in terms of failings on on defense for this, this Kings team? I mean, the Suns didn't even, like, shoot the ball amazingly from deep until that third quarter for the most part. Like, the first half, they were 2 of 16 from 3. We mentioned it in the preview that this was the worst three-point shooting team in the league last year, even though they were going to throw it up. Um, But to me, yeah, it was really just letting Phoenix do whatever they wanted. And, and like, there there wasn't the effort. It's the first half, they had 34 of their 54 points in the paint. They ended with 68 points in the paint which is just ridiculous. They had 20, the Suns had 27 fast break points of themselves. It wasn't like even one aspect of defense. I just felt like nobody was, was hustling on that end. Like it was all the basic little things, getting your hands in passing lanes, keeping your eye on the ball and your man staying in between the two. There was just, everything wrong with the defense like I I don't know if I can name one thing that I did like from the defense to me what stood out was a lack of communication especially on switches there was a a play uh, I think it was in the second half could have been late second quarter where uh, Buddy Heald missed missed a switch he was switching on to he should have switched on to Corey Joseph's man and Joseph didn't like that you know turned around and pretty animated you know pointing you got this is where you got to go. You got to get this guy in this situation. And, you know, that's the downside to Heald's game. He has earned every dollar already, as far as I'm concerned, uh, of his new contract. But, yeah, I mean, there's going to be defensive lapses. He's not the world's best defender. Fox is an incredible playmaker on defense, but 
I don't know that he can do it all yet. And I'm not sure that so much of defense is team defense. It's like such a, it's such a team dependent thing. You can guard your guy all you want. You can stay in front of your man all you want. Um, it's not going to like stop a team from scoring. You get those four other guys on the court and it's not, you know, there's going to be times when you're, even when you're switching correctly, uh, if the guy that's switching onto your man isn't doing anything to slow him down or stop him or put a hand in his face, um, you know, there's going to be buckets, but Ubre was dunking on fools. Uh, Aiton was throwing down hammers. Rubio was getting to the cup and, and finishing well. Um, man, yeah, it, it, everyone seemed to get what they want. I, I will say that Booker, I think, was bottled up a little bit, uh, and which also just goes to show how wrong I was about this game because that was another prediction I made that, like, Booker was going to get his and, and it was the other players on the team that would struggle. But until the second half, I think that, that Booker was – was kept a little bit in check. Um, the defense keyed in on him, and that's fine. And Buddy, and Buddy Heal did put some hands in his face, and, uh, and I appreciate that when he's able to get there. Um, when he is there, when he physically is there, I think he, you know, he can do a decent job. I don't think that his length is necessarily an issue for his size for running his position, but it's more of a defensive IQ thing that can, that can come into, the, into play there. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, I, I mean, the Suns were just getting the ball wherever they wanted. And I think that's one of the big pluses they got in Rubio is someone that really can take advantage of a poor defense um, that they didn't quite have last year aside from Booker. Rubio is a very smart offensive player and was just able to pick apart all the lapses that the Kings had on that end. Um, they had 15, the Suns had 15 assists on their first 21 field goals uh, in the first half. Like it, it was just, he was getting it, these entry passes in easily past two, three different Kings players where if they were aware, they could have had their hand in the passing lane. Um, yeah, the turn, the defense was horrific. I mean, the second half, the Suns scored 32 points and then 38 points in the fourth. And it was just, yeah, I don't know. It was gross. The offense was an insane amount of turnovers, like I mentioned. Uh, third quarter, nobody could score the ball, not even Buddy for the bit he was in there. Did you have a problem with, with, these, uh, with these rotations? I know the Trevor Ariza point was a very hot topic. Um. Yes. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with them in terms of I'm not going to – I'm not going to, like, scream and kick and cry about it, but I was a little bit confused, to be sure. Um, I guess Deadman is an interesting place to start here. You mentioned it, 14 minutes. That's um, that's weird, right? That was very weird, um, especially because I said it earlier, like, the 
protecting the rim was the biggest issue. And I think Deadman is the best player that you have at doing that. And he did a decent job when he was in there. I mean, he, he had a nice block. We saw the highlight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I felt like he was doing pretty well. Uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, was this like a Holmes revenge game? Was the what what was going on? I know he had three fouls in fourteen minutes. Um, I don't know how much of a role that that played. Uh, why why is Dwayne Dedman not playing twenty four minutes? Why did he not play twenty four minutes? Or or at least why was he not on pace to play twenty four minutes before it got out of hand? I genuinely have no clue like that. uh, I mean, I think that there was a good amount of minutes from Bagley at the five that maybe they were just really trying to up that pace, but that didn't seem to be very successful. And maybe seeing a lack of effort from the guys out there, Luke Walton had a thought of, I can put in one of my high energy guys and hope that it's a bit contagious. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, I have no answer to that question, really. Do you have a theory behind it? That's as good of a theory as I'm going to get as well. I mean, you you can just – we've talked a little bit about how Deadman is a step down in terms of athleticism from Willie Cauley-Stein. Um, so maybe, yeah, like you said, maybe they just – got a little bit panicky and Walton felt like, all right, we just got to run. So we're going to abandon, abandon the plan a there. Uh, but it did not work. I, I did not like the minutes that I saw from Bagley at center. And of course, you know, we're going to have to talk about this situation in a second with Bagley's injury. But before we do keeping on the game for one more minute, I wanted to, ask you how you felt about Bogdan Bogdanovich's minutes. I mean, he had a very rough start and was one of the guys that was dribbling a little too much that Bogey is guilty of at times, but he's a guy that you need to let play through it. I mean, he's, he is a good offensive player. He should be running that second unit. And for him to looking at it here, having the least amount of minutes played going into the fourth quarter, is ridiculous to me like bogey is a guy that needs to play through it and that's really what i felt like i mean trevor ariza i get it he's i guess i i get the theory behind it he's a veteran player that should be doing his job right in a game where players are not holding themselves accountable and being in the right spots but ariza was guilty of that plenty of times as well and bogdanovich is just a better player. He's the creator of that second unit. He should be running with the starters at times as well. I think that Bogey needed to play through it. I think that we're going to disagree a little bit here. Um, this is our first disagreement in, of this new season, so we can celebrate that. And I think in general, what you're saying is correct. I think in, in general, I don't have a big problem with it, but I am... I am willing to question Bogdanovich's role as the primary creator on the second on the second unit. I don't know that it works because we have seen him struggle a lot when be, trying to be the primary initiator. And I mean, yeah, I, I mean, some of this is in garbage time. A lot of it was, but you know, one for ten from the field 
over three from three, you know, a hefty negative 24 on the plus minus. We've seen him force stuff over and over again. And when the Kings got down a little bit in the third quarter, when it was just like a four to six point deficit, I felt my body tighten. And I remember thinking like, Bogdanovich is going to try to do too much. He's going to try to do too much. He's going to start forcing stuff. He's going to start over dribbling. He's going to start playing hero ball. And he did. Yeah. And an interesting note to this, because I agree with, I do agree with what you're saying about Bogdanovich being the sole backup playmaker is rough, but a lot of what we saw in preseason and you know, it's, it's preseason rotation. So who knows if those were actually going to carry over is that Fox was playing nearly the entire first quarter that the first sub was Bogdanovich and Holmes, just like it was an opening night against Phoenix, except they took out both of the bigs. They took out Bagley and Deadman instead of previously in preseason, we were seeing Deadman and Buddy being taken out. And it's understandable, Buddy was on fire, but then that led to there not being Fox playing the all of the first. And then when Fox comes out, Buddy was coming in. So there was it, most of the minutes, there was one of those two guys to be there with Bogdanovich. It's a great point. And I would have loved to see that again, but there were a lot of various reasons on why I feel like that didn't happen with Buddy heating up and carrying the offense and then De'Aaron having his foul troubles. Yeah, let's talk about De'Aaron and his foul troubles here. So he got three early in the first, and and typically that means the coach is going to pull that player, especially if he's a guard, right? or a point guard in particular. That's that. Do you think that's the conventional wisdom there? Yeah, I do. Do you agree with that wisdom? At times, uh, yeah. I, I think that in the first half, that was fine. I don't think that I, I think, I don't think it's a very smart general concept because what you're kind of doing is giving the team the like they're the opposing team the best case scenario you're giving that you're handing that because the fear is oh god fox is going to amass enough fouls to not be allowed to play in this game anymore it's going to limit his minutes in this game and we need to maximize his minutes in this game but their solution to that is let's minimize his minutes in this game does that make sense am i, am I making sense there yeah, I get what you're saying, and I don't think it's something that you should do if a player gets three fouls, you instantly don't play him the rest of the half. But I think that in this case, I was I was fine with it. Um, but I do think that when he had that fourth, that it was understandable, I guess, to take him out at the beginning of that third. Like the fourth one is where it starts to get really close. Um, but when that run really started to happen in the third, I felt like he needed to be coming back in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is the problem. Like if you are afraid to play your players, then you can't, they won't be in the game when it's most important. If you're afraid to play your best players in the most important stretch of the game, you're kind of admitting defeat or you're kind, you're kind of just, you're kind of just laying it down. I mean, you're kind of laying your hand down and being like, all right, well, we're going to try to just beat you or we're going to try to make a comeback with our, our, our less important players. And I, 
I get that that's the logic that most teams use. I just would push back on it and question it a little bit because I'd almost rather have Fox foul out at the end of the third quarter and just not be available in the fourth than watch them get beat down and outscored by, what, 35 in the second half? Yeah, but I think that obviously there was hope and I think reasonable hope that the bench would be able to run it without him. I mean, having one of the best backup point guards in the league, you know, but that did not happen. And sort of to support your point a bit there, I mean, if he's guarding Ricky Rubio, is that a guy that's really going to make him, is really going to draw some fouls off of Fox? Shouldn't be, right? I mean... I, I don't know. Maybe because so much of Rubio's scoring prowess comes from inside the arc that there is a little bit more contact there versus a point guard who's going to be shooting it from long range where you are less likely to foul on those shots. You know, uh, So that's interesting. I I don't know. But going back to the second unit, and this, this, this game kind of became a mess. The rotations became a mess. It was interesting because in preseason – there seemed to be a pretty disciplined rotation, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, and it was fairly set, at least in the games where the Kings were playing all their their main players. And then this just kind of felt like like lineup jazz. Like guys are coming in, guys are going out, guys were staying in, and it just felt like there's no real rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, I, I was confused by it. It it felt more of a first lineup and a first unit and second unit more than preseason. Like there were times of a full bench lineup, which I don't feel like we quite saw as much in preseason. And, you know, maybe I, I was always saying during those preseason games, the asterisk of Fox playing the entire first quarter is that Corey Joseph wasn't available for those games for the final two of them, at least. Um, but yeah, these were, these were interesting lineups and there is a lot to play with. So that's somewhat understanding in a way. I, I, yeah, I don't know. So you ready for this? Yeah. King's pulse performer of the game. Oh, God, we have to do this. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I mean, can we just say Buddy Hield's first half? <laughs> yeah. No, that's actually totally fair. I was going to say Corey Joseph. I liked a lot of what I saw from him. But... Yeah, um, no, it's got to be Buddy Hield. I, I like forgot about the first half. The second half was so bad, I forgot about it. But yeah, no, it's Buddy Hield. Um, he was the best player on the court tonight, I suppose. It's just when you're shooting like that, when you are, when you have one skill that is so much better than any other skill that was displayed on the night, that is only fair. <sighs> yeah, um, yeah, man, I, I, I am, I am, I am a little bit shook. So. Give me, by the way, the most noticeable thing about this that, that really upset me was how sloppy the passing was. Like, you, you mentioned it with the turnovers, but my God, some of the passes that were being forced were, uh, it was amateur hour. Yeah, it, it really was. It was. And, you know, maybe Yogi should be our post performer for being the only king without a turnover. <laughs> I like that. And he only played four minutes. Hey, uh, yeah, wow. I... I was going to say uh, Swanigan or Gabriel only played two minutes. And <laughs> yeah, they both had they, a turnover. They managed one. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, God. Wonderful. Uh, goodness gracious. All right. So, 
panic meter. Um, well, you know what? Hold on. Let's talk about this injury before, because then we can really get to the panic meter. Uh, Marvin Bagley has a fractured thumb. Uh, he will be out four to six four to six weeks. How do you how do you feel? How are you feeling about that? Well, this sucks. First of all, um, yeah, it's it's about fourteen to nineteen games was what I came up with looking at the schedule. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, this is this is supposed to be the Kings' best rebounder this year, um, and we're expecting a decent amount of scoring from him as well. And mainly, it's that I wanted to see Bagley really be progressing on the court. And I feel like the best way that he's going to continuously be improving his game is just playing as much as possible, getting these reps and making those mistakes and learning from them. He missed, what was it, 20 games last year as well. So Mm -hmm. for him to sit out again like this is really, I feel like it slows his development, which is the worst part of this. Yep, you said it. He's supposed to be the best rebounder on this team, and this team is going to really struggle in rebounding even even if he were active, they were going to always struggle with rebounding. And now they've lost their best rebounder. This team, if they're weak anywhere, it's probably amongst their big men. They just lost their best big man for four to six weeks. It's a problem. It's just his right hand. I mean, right? Like, he only uses the left anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good one. So Jason Jones put something out that Luke Walton said Bielitz is likely the one to be replacing Bagley. Is it is that what you would have liked to saw? Just simple as that. Um, I mean, we know Bielitz can start on this team on a team that did well that overperformed. So that's fine, I guess. The problem there is I would have preferred to see. Wouldn't it have been better to have? Uh, Fox, Buddy, Barnes, Bielitsa, and Bagley, and then have Bagley in Willie Cauley-Stein's role from last year? Wouldn't that have been the better scenario than than what we have now? I mean, obviously with Bagley out, but I feel like that makes more sense as like a one-to-one comparison. Yeah, you mean in comparison to last year? Well, yeah, just because now you've got the same lineup you had last year, but Deadman is in college science right. position, which is fine. But if the, the primary reason you wanted Deadman was to stretch the floor, I always thought that that was because Bielitsa would be moved to the bench. So there would be a need for a floor stretcher. Right. But I do think that you get more defense in this lineup that you wouldn't have with Bagley there. It, it just becomes that the offense is very reliant on Fox and Buddy. I feel like that's kind of a mild hot take. Uh, Actually, it's a pretty hot take. You're saying that Bielitz is a better defender than Bagley? Um, no, I meant in comparison to what a last year's lineup would have been if we were talking uh, Belly and yeah, Belly and Collystein. You're saying Deadman to Collystein. Uh, Deadman to Bagley at the five. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay, so yeah, no, that makes sense. And that, so that is so. Let's compare last year's starting five to what is going to be the starting five for the next four to six weeks. The only difference there is going from Stein to Deadman. So let's talk about this. Less pace, less uh, athleticism, less lob finishing, more shooting and more, uh, you know, rim defense, more, more post defense. Is that fair? Yeah. 
you know, there's a real argument here for homes. Because yeah, you, no, do let's have that lay it out. you do have that spacing with belly now and, yes. and you want the rim running. You want the pace up with this team, obviously. And Rashawn Holmes, we mentioned how you want only one non-spacer on the floor, ideally. And Holmes can be that guy. You could get the pace up here with having him in place of Deadman, or at very least, you know, you can start Deadman and you can have him as one of the first subs, something like that. But yeah, there, there is definitely a case for, for your favorite king to come on and start center there. This is fascinating to me. I, I am very fascinated to see this. I would love to see a starting lineup with, you know, essentially what the Kings had last year with Holmes instead of Willie Cauley-Stein. You know, then we can really see. Then NBA Twitter and uh, the analytics uh, nerds out there can really see uh, the Willie Cauley-Stein to Holmes uh, replacement level there. We'll, we'll see. You know, I, I don't know, but to me, it makes more sense than Deadman in there. Deadman makes a ton of sense with Bagley. Deadman makes perfect sense with Marvin Bagley. But with the Elitza, it's a, it feels a little bit like a hat on a hat. But, you know, we'll go with it. What I think is going to end up happening is we're going to see a lot of Trevor Ariza at the four, um, you know, based on the first night. That doesn't and that seem- puts Bogey at the three? I mean, it can. Are you saying in the second unit? Yeah, my question when I saw this was, do they still run a 10-man rotation? And to me, that would mean Yogi getting minutes. Or does it cut down to nine? I don't think that Yogi is getting minutes because of Bagley uh, being hurt. I I feel like they want Harry Giles back. That's for damn sure. And I don't know if you saw it today, but it was tweeted out that he practiced fully. Yeah, I got he's practiced, but he's not ready for game action, and that it won't be until uh, next week. Right. No timetable specifically that I saw. Right. And and quickly on the De'Aaron and Buddy, because they both rolled their ankle yesterday as well. Uh, De'Aaron practiced, and Buddy Heald did not, but shot around after in his day-to-day. True or false, the first night of – the 2019-20 King season could have gone worse. I mean, I guess it could have, but <laughs> pretty much false. Right. This was the I mean, it got. they broke their turnover record for all of last year. I guess Darren Fox could have pooped his pants on the court. But aside, <laughs> aside from that, this is pretty much worst case scenario. Did you see that DeAndre Aiden has has been suspended for 25 games for use of performance-enhancing drugs? Okay, so this is for diuretics is what it said, right? And a common use for diuretics or for athletes would be, because it helps you urinate quicker, would be to flush out the PEDs faster. You're right. I I apologize. You're absolutely right. That is one of those typical, um, you know, positive tests that isn't, positive for the actual substance but is positive for some you know um, indicative of a working around those tests so but he's come out and said that you know he's apologized and he said that it was unwilling you know he this whatever substances these were they entered his body unknowingly as you know every athlete in the history of time has said right of course going with the negligence and in yeah saying that it was just a diuretic which it's like why yeah there there's some questions there um and 25 games is a long time 
Yeah. When was the last time you can remember a player getting a 25 game suspension for, you know, either PEDs or, or something that indicative of hiding potential PEDs? I cannot remember, but I happen to have a Bobby Marks tweet here that has the last people with 20 plus games. And it's Joakim Noah in 2017. Actually, Wilson Chandler this year. Oh, good call. Uh, Jody Meeks in 2018. Turkaloo in 2013. And Nick Calathes in 2014. Yeah, how could you? How dare you? I know, right? Not know Nick Calathes. <laughs> what team did he play for, Rich? Uh, the. Golden State Raptors. <laughs> hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse, and we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it, and, and thank you very much for listening. The Kings Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. As you say, this could, could, could barely have gone worse. This, this first opening night of the Kings season. Where is your panic level at? Give me one to ten. I'm only going to go with about a four because I think so much of it was lack of effort. And, yeah, really, that this should be a slap in the face and the panic won't start until there's another game this terrible if it would happen back-to-back or even half this bad. Yeah, I'm going to go with a six. I am more concerned than you are, but I will say that I'm going to kind of split the difference and and say that three of those panic points are from the actual performance on the court, which I'm not I'm I'm underwhelmed with how how bad it was. It was bad, but a lot of teams just lay eggs on the first night, you know, things happen. Um but the other three points are coming from this injury cuz I don't think that's good at all. I think that's going to be a real issue for this team that, you know, you take Willie Carly sign away from this team, take them out, take him off this roster. That's acceptable when you have the pieces to replace him specifically an athletic play finishing big. Now you take that guy away too. You know, it's a real issue. And I guess we can hope that Rashawn Holmes will fulfill some of that role, but no one is thinking of Rashawn Holmes as the type of explosive play finisher that, that even, you know, that Marvin Bagley is. Right. And I forget your answer to uh, the nine or 10 man rotation. You think they stick with nine or were you just saying no Yogi and the minutes could go to someone like Giles if he comes back? It's nine until it's nine plus Giles. So that's a nine with an asterisk asterisk for me. 
Got it. Yeah. And uh, I guess just a little watch on, you know, I want to say the Western Conference playoff race, even though we're game one in, but I feel like this entire season is a race for that eight seed uh, with a lot of different teams. Or is it? Or, I, or have the Kings already got out of stop it? Stop it. Stop it. it no, better... I, I, I'm being serious right now because I already had them not in the playoffs. Um, and you had them in the playoffs by like an impossible scenario. Right. Impossibly low margin of, of you know, what did you even have them like at a 51% probability? Or was it like you felt like it was maybe more 35%, but you're just picking that? Or, or did you feel like it was likely they made it in? No, I was very borderline, very, very borderline. So say, say you have like a, you felt they had a fifty percent chance to get in. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Has that moved at all? Considering they <laughs> laid an absolute egg and then lost their best big man for four to six weeks. I'd be lying if I didn't say I regretted so many things I said on that prediction episode after watching that game. But I think they can bounce back. I mean, every game is really going to matter, but. I think they can bounce back, but I did lose a good five ten percent faith after that game. For sure, they absolutely can bounce back. And to me, I didn't have them as getting in. I felt like it was more like thirty-five to forty percent that they would get in, and I am probably down more towards thirty percent, uh, maybe even twenty-five. But the majority of those points that I'm taking off there are more towards the injury than I am towards the first game because I, I think there's a real chance Sacramento comes back and wins their opening night game against the Portland Trailblazers. I really think that's possible. Um, however, you know, six weeks is a long time. It really is. And it is not an easy stretch of games for the Kings. No, sir. <sighs> yeah. I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit about – um about a preview for the home opener. You got to think that there's going to be some Corey Joseph and Fox sharing the floor together, right? Why do you say that? Because this is one of the best backcourts in the league and their offense comes all from Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Yep. That's fair. We, I think we specifically talked about this scenario in our uh, team by team matchup preview and yeah, I mean, yeah. Who do you see Corey Joseph guarding in this in this scenario? And do you think he? I mean, he can't start though, right? Um, I don't think so. No. Um, and then I'd probably have. Yeah, I mean, you'd probably have Fox on Lillard in regards to the starting lineup. I don't know. Either way, Buddy's going to get worked. Right. I, I mean, you, you, Fox and, and Buddy are going to be starting for the Kings right. forever. For, I mean, lock it in for the next decade. Uh, I know that Buddy Hield will be 37 by the end of that decade, but go ahead and lock it in. Um, so how is Corey Joseph getting in here? I mean, is it just that they're going to play Fox like 15 meaningful minutes again? No, I think that I'm mainly talking, you know, once it comes crunch time and towards the end of a game when you really need your best lineup out there, I think the best lineup on a night against the Portland Trailblazers or, say, like the uh, the Golden State Warriors teams with these great backcourts is going to feature both Fox and Corey Joseph. And then 
probably Buddy at the three. I mean, are you yes, worried about? I was just are you worried about there. Buddy guarding Rodney Hood? You know, no, that I was just gonna go there, and I completely agree with you. Like the best lineup for this Kings team against the Trailblazers is gonna be Fox, Joseph, Buddy, Barnes, and would you say Deadman or Holmes there? Um, I think I'll go Deadman because Whiteside on the perimeter is terrible. Also, did you see the video of him defending Jokic? That was the funniest thing. I did not. Oh God. There's yeah, there's a video where you would have swore that the whistle was blown because he just stands there and lets Jokic do anything to him. Um, but yeah, I, I mean I think that I would probably go Deadman because I'd like to pull Whiteside out of the paint, which is the only aspect of the game where he's useful is slight rim protection. Yeah, I'm on board for that. I think that teams like we've discussed the teams that are very, very, very thin at the uh, small forward position, like the Warriors as well. That's a lineup where you you can absolutely put Buddy at the three because you just don't have to really worry about him getting getting worked. Yeah, I would agree. And like you, I'm not fully counting out them losing this game. You know, I think there's a good chance that they can't come out and win this. I don't think that night one was representative of this entire year at all, but it's understandable for the fan base to be very disappointed with losing by 29 points to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, it was horrific. But I'll say this. I think that home, you know, home court advantage or home field advantage or whatever in whatever sport is overlooked. I think that it's been such an old adage for so long that I'll say for myself, I think I'm sometimes guilty of not even really thinking about where the game is played. But, you know, if anyone knows how, how games turn out the best, it's Las Vegas. Like Las Vegas has so much money built into this and you'd be shocked at how, how much location plays a part in the lines in betting lines um you know i from what i've seen right now sacramento is is pretty close to even with portland for their chances friday night and i think that specifically speaks to the energy that is anticipated to be in golden one center um they will be slight underdogs but you know they've got a puncher's chance or better um, they've got, I would say that this game is pretty close to a coin flip. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, one other thing that I'll point out about that Suns game that we did not see another thing that I got wrong, uh, was the three pointers. They, they weren't there. I think, yeah, they shot 29 threes, a full seven less than Luke Walton had said that he wanted as a nightly game in game out basis of 36. Do we see in this game more threes? I think that we have to, um, especially if they're playing a little bit slower at times and more of a half court. But the way that's going to happen is hitting the paint. And that wasn't going on at all against Phoenix. Yeah. And if Bielitsa and Deadman are starting, you better hope there's more threes, right? Or else why are they starting? Exactly. Yeah. So tell me the scenario. All right, just give me this. Win or loss Friday night for the Sacramento Kings against the Portland Trailblazers at Golden 1 Center. 
Oh man. Um, I'm going to go loss as much as I want them to win. I think that they're going to lose this game. I hear the pain in your voice, my friend. Um, I I'm, really wanted to say win. Here, I, I want to say win too, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say they lose because I'm wrong about everything. So uh, here's to the reverse jinx. Um, Kings take a big fat L. Right. Uh, and, you know, we did a couple over-unders uh, for last game, and I kind of like doing that for, for the little bit of these previews. So I'll throw a turnover one your way. Sacramento King turnovers, is it over under 16? They mm. averaged 13.4 last year. This will be a point of emphasis, but, you know, how much emphasis can you make in a day? I'm going to go – over here but i'm it's just it's gonna feel like an under because it'll be so much less than 29 i'll take just a slight over like 17 interestingly also portland forced the second least amount of turnovers last year um i'll I'll go under on this one interestingly um and then in regards to let's do another one with the three-point attempts we mentioned that these got to get up the mark is 35 that they're looking to hit. Do you think over or under on that one? I'm going to go with a fat over here. I'm going to go with a big fat 38, 38 or 39 threes. I think it's going to be raining threes. And I think that I think that they're going to be, they're going to be hitting them. And I think that's going to be partially motivated by the home crowd. I like that. I'm definitely taking over as well. Um, is there one other one you want to throw in here? Let's go over under. Buddy healed 20 points. Hmm. I'm going over, especially without Bagley in there. I think him and Fox both uh, need to really get up there, and Buddy's the one that at least is guaranteed to throw some shots up. Agreed with, you, with, with that as well. And then let's go over under Corey Joseph, 20 minutes played. Ooh, this is interesting. Um. I'm going over, actually, because like we mentioned, I think that this is a matchup where you definitely want to see Joseph out there. I think so, too. I think that for the reasons we enumerated and considering he played 21 minutes last night, um, it seems pretty achievable. Yeah, I'll tell you what. And now that we've gone through our predictions, explain to me what has to happen tomorrow for you to seriously start losing your mind a little bit. Um, I, I think there needs to be, again, this uh, insane amount of turnovers. And a, you pointed out a lack of communication where once they start to get punched in the mouth, that they completely disengage. Like, I, I need to see some fight in this team when uh, Portland goes on a run like they're bound to. So if they just completely fold when things start going in the wrong direction, then that that's going to break it for me. And a lot of these, these turnovers on both ends, if they are turning it over a lot themselves, which is very possible with a young team, but not getting it on the other end as well. Yeah. You tweeted out a great stat that the Suns took 17 shots to the Kings six about midway through the third quarter. And uh, yeah, if that happens again, that's unacceptable. That, that's when I'll really, if that becomes a trend, if like runs like that happen, not necessarily with runs of points, but runs of, of losing the possession game so badly that you're getting out attempted by a, a 
by a threefold margin. If that happens again, I'll be very concerned. Yeah, understandably. And then what do you feel like needs to happen uh, in order for the Kings to come out on top of this game? And what, do, what, do, what do I need to see on the floor for, in order for them to win? Or what yeah. do, what's the question? Yeah, what do you feel like the Kings need to accomplish to win this game? Yeah, I mean, it's going to sound overly simple, but just the exact opposite of what we saw last night. <laughs> That's fair like, enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like communication on defense, like taking care of the ball on offense. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's, it's pretty simple. It, like the mistakes were so glaring um, and it was just such a lack of discipline and, and such a lack of uh, composure and, and a lack of you know, like any real urgency on offense and then any real, uh, any, any real fight on defense, like you said, they're kind of obvious things. That's what's going to need to happen. They're going to need to not turn the ball over 29 times, cut that in half and you got yourself a win. Yeah. And maybe one final thing that we can kind of throw in here for these previews at times is what is your, what's your key matchup in this game? It's a good question. It's a good question. I, I think that hmm, I, I'm struggling with this one because, like you said, I, I'm not sure if it's just going to be like Fox and Lillard on Lillard all night and Lillard, Lillard on Fox on. I'm not 100% sure that's going to be the matchup. That's the marquee matchup, right? Um, but then again, right. on the other side, I, I, I want to say something to involve Whiteside here because I think that could be the key to – unlocking this defense but I don't know if it's going to be Deadman getting 14 minutes again or not hmm I am gonna go with man I I, I am actually pretty stumped right now yeah so, it, yeah I, I wanted to go towards Buddy and CJ because I think there's more questions there than what usually is like a marquee matchup because you know what you're getting from a Fox and Lillard but I am gonna go Fox and Lillard because Fox did not show up in game one um I think that obviously the Kings are very reliant on him and just because of the fact that he did not show up in game one like you expect Fox to most nights that he really needs to for this team to be successful so that's the one I'm going to be watching even if it's the most basic one do we know who's going to be starting at the four for Portland? Will it be Zach Collins? I do not know. That would be my assumption. Uh, because I kind of want to key in right now on Bielitsa starting, moving into the starting lineup. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Bielitsa and Collins there simply because you know the loss of Bagley could be could be disastrous, right? It could it could mean a whole lot of bad news for this team. But if Bielitsa is able to step in and be the guy we saw last year, professional player, hitting shots, keeping the glue together, then, you know, I, I think that's going to be a really – that could be a saving grace to this team. So, you know, Zach Collins did start the four for the Blazers last night. I'm going to assume – that they roll with that. So I'm going to look at this Zach Collins, Nemanja Bielitsa matchup pretty closely. That's interesting. And yeah, um, Whiteside also had 19 rebounds. Another thing that we know he can do well. So keeping him off the offensive board is going to be big. Um, and 
Collins and Whiteside, that is some really good rim protection on that team. So I, I think that the Kings need to make sure that they're getting their, uh, their offense from the perimeter, and I think they have the ability to do that, especially with this lineup of all this spacing. Yeah, I'm just looking at this roster, and I'm, I'm just a little bit a little bit of worried. I'm just a little bit worried. If Whiteside's going to be if Whiteside's going to be in a good defensive system and get 19 boards like this, 6 of 7 from the field, if he's going to be that guy and Scalabissier by the way, big shouts out. <laughs> he's back points, up big. 8.6 rebounds in 11 minutes. If he's going to play like that, I don't know. I I'm just Kings fans, get out there, support your team. I, I know Golden One Center is going to be loud as hell, um, and the players are going to need that. I think the players really need to bounce back. They need to – I mean, as much as the second game can be a must-win game um, for the season, I think this is getting pretty close to it. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy to say. Like you're saying, in a second game, this actually somehow feels like a must-win already. Um <laughs> Yeah, man, this is this is something. And I do expect them to have a lot of intensity and hustle going out there, especially after getting destroyed by by Phoenix, one of the worst teams in the West. So, Right, like Mike Tyson says, uh, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. So we will see how the Kings react uh, tonight, Friday night. Someone's ear off. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast, and you will hear from us again in the next couple of days. From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required.